Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder law and estate planning attorney Kevin Tharp and financial advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. What to do before we're gone. I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisor. Gary, I know that every year we go on a family vacation. Sometimes we go a week, sometimes we go two weeks. I know that I travel a lot uh, throughout the year, uh, at least twice a month. Uh, I go up to my young Harris office and spend a couple of days up there. I know a couple of times a year I travel someplace to go to a, a continuing education conference. And uh, I noticed that there are things that we do, I do as well, uh, in preparation before we go. There are things that, you know, make sure the mail gets stopped and make sure that uh, uh, Mulberry has a place to stay um, and, you know, make sure all those preparations are made. And if it's an extended trip, we make sure we kind of have a checklist and make sure we packed all the things that we're going to need because it is a panic uh, you know, when you get there and forgot, hey, I forgot to pack my bathing suit and I'm at the beach for two weeks. Um, so we do a lot of things in preparation before we go on a trip. But in the back of our mind, we know that, hey, if I forgot something, that's OK. You know, we can go to Walmart and buy a new bathing suit if I need to. But what I'm talking about today is when we go uh, forever. What happens to when when I die? What's going to happen with things when I die? And that's what estate planning is all about. It's answering that question, what's going to happen to my assets when I die? And we know the answer to that question. We know we're prepared, and there's some things that we can do that will prepare us and make our being gone a little easier, make it a little, uh, a little smoother for those that we leave behind. And so here are the things that we can do that will answer that question and give us peace of mind of knowing we're prepared for when we're gone. And number one, you need to put your wishes, whatever they are, you need to put them in writing. You need to put them in a document. And there are a couple of document choices that we have. There's a couple of ways that we can do this. Now, typically when I bring up the subject, put your wishes in writing, the first thing that comes to most people's mind is a will because that's one of the documents that they are most familiar with that they believe over the years that, hey, if I just put my wishes in a document called a will, then I'm prepared for when I go. When somebody passes away, inevitably, especially when they know what I do for a profession, the first thing they ask me is, did so-and-so have a will? Did they have a will? Do we know if they have a will? And yet that's probably one of the least things needed when a person dies. I'm not saying it's not needed, but it's one of the most least important things because that document is not going to really dictate what happens, especially with assets, when a person dies. So what determines what happens what can I do to make sure I'm fully prepared, fully and completely prepared from when I'm gone? And that's put your wishes in a document and then title your assets in coordination with that document. And that's where it's obvious now that a will doesn't fully prepare you 
because a will is missing title. You cannot title your home in the name of your will. My home is not titled in the last will and testament of Kevin Tharp. So uh, since my will is missing title, when I die, I'm not fully prepared, and therefore there are extra steps that my family has to take in order to accomplish that goal of getting title to my assets over to my surviving loved ones. So the absence of title, Gary, equals the presence of probate. If a will was enough, if a will fully prepared us for when we go, then there would not be a need for probate. What to do before we're gone. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors, and I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney. And Kevin, today you're talking about what to do, how to plan before we're gone. Because I can tell you this, trying to plan after you're gone is a terrible time to have to do that. Oh, absolutely. In (laughs) fact, it's near impossible for you to do that, and it's near impossible for everybody else that you leave behind to do it. Because after the fact... That's why there's probate. If you don't plan before you go, there are extra steps. Probate has to get involved. And see, that's why there's this false sense of security out there that people think that if they have a will, and sometimes people do recognize, they see these changes in their life and they recognize, hey, I'm 90-something years old and I haven't updated my will in 50 years. So they go in and they update the document to make sure things are taken care of. Every webinar that I've ever attended that's been hosted by a financial advisor or uh, some other professional, even radio shows, even radio shows on this station, when the topic of estate planning comes up, the natural inclination is to go to that will and, well, make sure you have your will up to date in case something happens. You're prepared for when you go. You put your wishes in writing and then especially with financial advisors, then they turn around and tell people, well, just make your spouse and kids the beneficiary on your retirement account. That form of titling, beneficiary designation, is now completely negated the legal document. Because when title and beneficiary designation is a form of title is not coordinated with the will, title always wins. Title controls what happens. So that's why we tell people Choose the document called a trust and specifically choose a document called a revocable trust because that is a revocable trust is a legal document that contains your wishes about what you want to happen when you die. You can be very specific and very detailed or you can be very general. But here's the difference. You can title your assets in the name of a trust because the trust becomes effective while you're living. See, a will doesn't become effective until you die. That's why you can't title things in the name of a will. So when you title things in the name of your trust before you die, when you die, there is not a need for probate. Things will go where you want them to go. The trust will take into account the what-ifs, like what if my spouse survives me, but he or she, God forbid, is sick in a nursing home. What if all of my children survive me, but God forbid they're in the, one of them's in the middle of a divorce? What if one of my children die before me and they leave children and one of those grandchildren of yours has special needs? Okay. 
All of those what-ifs can be taken into account in your trust. And everything will be carried out exactly the way you want. And there will not be any extra step of probate. The things that you want to stay simple or be simple will stay simple when you get the government and the court out of it. Things will remain private. Most people want things to be private when they pass away. They don't want things published in the newspaper. Well, maybe other than your obituary. (laughs) But they don't want all of their personal details, like how much assets they have and how much their bank accounts were worth and the name and addresses of their surviving spouse and children. But all of that is public record at the probate court if you go through the probate process. So this trust will eliminate probate when you're gone and you will be prepared and you will have others will be prepared and you will make things simpler for them. You will make sure that your children and grandchildren and surviving spouse are protected when something happens to you. So get title of assets coordinated with the wishes that you've put in a legal document and a revocable trust is the only estate planning tool that will allow you to do all those things. Planning before you're gone. Kevin, I know people have questions about that. Why don't you give them your information so they can give you a call? Gary, that's the one universal thing that's going to affect us all. You can prepare for it by contacting us through our website, kevintharp.com. Reasons not to wait longer for Social Security. Coming up next. Why would you not wait longer to draw Social Security? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And Gary, that's a question that I have. If you're going to get Social Security and you put this money into the Social Security system all these years, why would you want to wait before you start getting this money? It's a good question, Kevin. And again, it comes down to who you are and what you want to do during your retirement and how that fits your overall plan. Not just your investment plan, but your overall retirement plan. This is a component of that plan. And last week I talked about why you might wait to draw Social Security, why you might wait another year to retire or two years to retire, another two or one or two years to start drawing Social Security. And there are good reasons for that. And one being you're probably going to get more Social Security naturally because you're taking the 35 quarters that determine the 35 years that determine how much Social Security you get are the highest 35 years of your working career, highest paid 35 years. Sometimes by retiring later, a year or two later, you're taking some of those lesser years out of that 35, the years where you didn't make as much money, and you're including more now because you're working a couple of years longer including years that you're making more money, and that will determine how much Social Security you get. And you don't see that, and you can't see it at first at first blush on the Social Security website. You don't see that. You have to calculate that to see how much it could mean to you. So today, and the other reason, of course, is the old 8% increase rule. You know, you wait a year, your Social Security is going to be 8% more. That's another good reason to possibly start Social Security. But today, we're talking about Wait, taking Social Security early, taking it maybe even as soon as you can. 
So now I'm really confusing people. Gary, you talked last week about a good reason to wait to retire, wait to start drawing Social Security, and now you're telling us, well, maybe there's some good reason you should start taking Social Security now. You're 62 years old, start taking it now. Sometimes people use, you know, they have health reasons. Sometimes they say, you know, I, my health is not good. I don't have any prospect of longevity. I don't think I'm going to live to be 85 years old or 90 years old. So I want to get it as soon as I can. And a lot of people do that. Sometimes people get it as soon as they can because, well, it's just a little bit extra money they can do things with. Give to, give to other people, give to children, grandchildren, charities, go on more trips, whatever it is. But those, there's more reasons for that. And this, as it, this, I want to talk about today how it pertains to your investment choices, how taking Social Security now can actually in, in affect the investment choices that you will make from this point forward through your retirement accounts, through your uh, brokerage accounts, things like that. And so why would you start taking it now, and how does that affect your investment choices? Well, one reason is by taking Social Security now, you're not going to have to potentially use money from your investments for a few more years because you already started this retirement income early. So yes, you're taking less at age 62. We know that. But this can delay you having to take other funds from your investments. So now you can look at your investment choices and say, okay, if my plan now is to start taking Social Security, let's say I can wait five or six or seven more years then before I need money for my investments, I can invest differently potentially than I was going to earlier because maybe I can have a little more growth involved for those five or six more years. So now your investments have grown more and then they are ready to fill the gap after that time period, whenever you do start needing more money from your investments or when are you plan on getting money for your, your investments, it actually now is giving you more money to work with. So that's one reason. So if somebody's sitting there now listening to this program and you're thinking about when in the world should I start drawing Social Security, don't assume anything. Don't assume that the best time to start taking it as early as possible or on the other hand, some people think, I'm going to wait as long as I can. I can wait till I'm 70, and I'm going to wait until then. It, 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 it has to fit the individual, and this is part of an overall plan. If you're going to do it sooner or later, you want to make sure the plan addresses why you're doing it then and also addresses how you're investing your other investments to actually enhance your, your retirement income later down the line. We're talking about reasons for taking Social Security early today on Truth and Planning, and I'm with my co-host Gary Anderson, financial advisor of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, recently I was with my uh, oldest brother and my family, and uh, he had mentioned that he had started taking his Social Security. Well, my first response was, did you just turn 70? And, of course, he gave me this look like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mother dropped you on your head when you were little. No, I'm not 70. I just turned 62. But 
he had a couple of reasons that sort of made sense. One of them was he said, I'm going to take it now because I believe that the government's going to run out of money uh, by the time <laughs> if I waited till 70. But the main reason was he started looking at some health issues and he said, I want to start enjoying my grandkids mm-hmm. and traveling now while I can do it health wise. And so what better time? Uh, now, somebody else may say, well, I'm going to wait till 70 because I can keep working because my health is good and I got the income coming in and I don't necessarily need that income right away. Uh, and they want to keep working till 70. So there's to him, that was an advantage of going ahead and taking the Social Security. Early. Well, and, and that's one good reason, Kevin, for the reasons from from a planning perspective. It doesn't sound like he was actually putting it together in an overall retirement plan. That just made sense for him. We like to make sure the retirement plan is a part of this. Social Security, when you take it, your investments, everything else, need to be a part of the plan. That's your income plan. So when we put together a retirement plan for people, one person we might say, yeah, you need to start taking it 62. We're going to let your investments grow for another four, five, six years before you start turning on income from those investments. And by taking Social Security earlier, you can wait a little longer to start doing that and let those investments grow. Right now is a great example for reasons that people might want to start drawing Social Security early because markets are down. The investment, Your investments in the market, if you've got a 401k or an IRA, it's probably right now worth 20% less than it was a year ago. And the government's allowing us to wait to take money out exactly. of those plans. So that's one good reason right there. This is a great example. Why do I want to start taking money from my retirement accounts right now when they're worth less than they were just, a, say, a year ago to create this income that's supposed to last me my entire lifetime from this point forward? And when we get anything, when we start talking about retirement income in general, we always have to remember it's not just $1,000 a month or 1500 or $2,000 a month. It's $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 a month every single month for as long as you're on this earth and potentially for your spouse, their, their, their life expectancy. So it adds up. The time value of money continues to add up and accumulate. But when we look at your overall investments, why not let them grow if you can? And if you can take Social Security early to allow that to happen, it's a great opportunity. And right now, if you're looking at taking Social Security and you're looking at an overall retirement plan, number one, you need to talk to an advisor. We do this all the time. Our job is to manage the risk during retirement. Manage your risk. Make sure that the income that you have is sufficient for now. And if you live to be 95 years old, it will still be sufficient. And sometimes these little things right at the first of your retirement years mean a lot later down the line. And so make sure this isn't about necessarily about when I should take Social Security. It's how does the Social Security fit my overall retirement plan, and that includes the investments we have and how it affects them as well. So having a plan to prepare for whether it's better to take it early or later on, Social Security in life, our listeners can get that information from you. How? Kevin, we need to have this discussion. Everybody needs the discussion, and so, so often it's just really nice to be able to bounce this off someone who does this every day. And they can call us at 888-371-2847. Uh, Gary-Anderson is our website. You can go through there and set up a time to come in and see us. 
In the next segment, we're going to talk about more things you can do before you go. you can do before you go. I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, in the previous segment, I talked about several things we can do to prepare for the one thing that's going to happen to all of us. It's not a topic we like to think about on a regular basis, but it is a topic and it is a reality that we need to be prepared for. And that are, what are some things we can do before we pass away? And Gary, I would be remiss uh, uh, as a believer to not at least share this part. And I know this is not a religious show, but one thing I know that you can prepare and be prepared is to make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's going to determine where you spend eternity. And um, so and you can make sure of that. There are plenty of sources to go to. You can even go to my website and contact me if you if you have questions about that. But there's some legal things that you can do, Gary, uh, to prepare uh, for when you go. And that's one of the things that estate planning focuses on, because it's a universal thing that's going to happen to all of us. We're all going to die owning assets. And all of us have wishes about what we want to happen to those assets when something happens. And so estate planning is just simply focusing on being prepared for that one event that's going to happen to all of us. And in the previous segment, we talked about one, uh, two things you can do uh, is, number one, get your wishes put in a legal document. And when you choose a trust as your legal document, especially a revocable trust instead of a will, then you can do the second step. And the second step is you can title your assets from your home to your bank accounts, to your retirement accounts, to your life insurance policies or annuities or CDs, um, your car, all of those things can be titled in coordination with your trust. Maybe your trust is the owner of your assets, like um, your home or your banking accounts. Now, again, because it's a revocable trust, you don't actually give up ownership. It's just you're making the trust the title owner of your home and your bank account. Now, there's other assets that you don't put in the trust now. You don't need to put them in now. You can't put them in the trust now, but you can make the trust a beneficiary. So instead of making your spouse and kids and grandkids the beneficiary of your retirement account or your life insurance, make it your trust. Then you make your spouse and your kids and your grandkids the beneficiaries of your trust. And when they get those things like your retirement account and your life insurance policy through your trust, then you know those beneficiaries are protected because your trust takes that into account. Making your spouse and kids the direct beneficiary of your life insurance or retirement account gives it to them. But it doesn't take into account, if I'm the beneficiary of my father's IRA and uh, my father passes away and, hey, this IRA money is now going to me, the IRA company is not going to take into account, oh, uh, that person may be in the middle of a divorce. And so we want to make sure 
that our beneficiaries are protected and the trust will take that into account. And that's how the trust or the IRA money or life insurance money goes to your beneficiaries is through the trust. And that's titling. Beneficiary designation is titling. So we talked about uh, putting your wishes in a legal document called a trust and then titling your assets in coordination with that. And then, so let's talk about some one other thing that you can do before you go. And this is uh, a thing that you can do that anybody can do. And you don't have to do this with the help of a lawyer. But this is a huge step I found in being prepared for what, uh, when you go. Because this one thing that uh, I'm going to talk about takes care of some of the, one of the most common type of assets that we all own. And that's stuff. The legal name for it is called personal property. And most of our personal property, from our furniture to our jewelry to our clothes to our collections, our album collections or our Coca-Cola collections or baseball card collections or uh, whatever, uh, all of those things don't have a title to them. And so, so how do you coordinate that with your document? Because remember, if title and document are not coordinated together, that means probate is involved. I can tell you personally, having lost various family members and uh, friends and other loved ones, one of the most overwhelming things that people in the family have to face after they lose a loved one, right after the funeral, is what are we going to do with all this stuff? (laughs) And I found that most of us, just as creatures of being human beings, creatures of habit, we accumulate a lot of stuff. You're listening to Truth and Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And today, Kevin Tharp is talking about what you do with your stuff. What do you, how do you plan for not being here? And Kevin, I can tell you this, my stuff, I'm just going to let my kids just deal with it. <laughs> I'm going to punish them with my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you this. I told my mother-in-law, I have no desire for her Christmas dishes and neither does her daughter. <laughs> but she's got this stuff. What's going to happen to it? And, and I will tell you, people that are experts in, in uh, get, getting rid of this stuff, uh, from Sotheby's all the way down to auction houses, what I'm hearing at conferences, a conference I went to recently, there was a speaker there that said, people don't want this stuff. Mm. Our generation that follows us, the millennials and Gen Xers, they don't want the Chippendale dining room table and the two sets of Christmas dishes they don't want this stuff. And the china cabinet. And the china cabinet that go that it goes in. And I have two of them in my dining room. <laughs> Callie has said, I don't want this stuff. Now, there's another S word for it, but radio prohibits me from saying that, that other S word. But it is. It can be very overwhelming on what to do with this stuff. For weeks after my mom passed, my dad could not return to the apartment simply because her stuff was still there Mm -hmm. in the same place it was when she left and went to the hospital and then went to the nursing home. She never came back home and nothing changed. This is overwhelming. So how do you deal with it? How do you help those that you leave behind deal with it? Personal letter. Gary, three years ago, the Georgia legislature adopted a law, and I call it the personal letter law. And basically what that personal letter law says this is this. 
if you have a personal letter that says, this is what I want done with my stuff, and you have a legal document like a trust that refers to that letter, then as long as you have signed and dated that letter, now you don't have to get it witnessed or notarized, may not be a bad idea to get it witnessed and notarized, but you don't have to, then that personal letter now has the same status as a legal document. And so it kind of fills in that gap of, well, how do I deal with my furniture or my jewelry that doesn't have a title to it? Well, the personal letter now gives a title to this stuff. And you can specify, you can be very general. I just let my children, as you said, let my children decide what they want and what they don't want, donate it to charity. Well, most likely, most of your stuff's going to charity. Mm-hmm. Because most pe- most of our children don't want this stuff. And it'll be in a thrift store. But there are some things that I know that my daughter wants and that my nephews want of mine. I know that there's some things, some jewelry that my wife has that's been in her family for several generations. And so there's some specific things that she wants to do with those things. And so she's put that in her personal letter. She signed it and dated it. And her trust refers to that personal letter. My trust refers to my personal letter. And now I've given title to those things like my Coca-Cola collection or my album collection. And now I know I have the peace of mind of I know what's going to happen to that stuff when I pass away. And that personal letter now is a legal document enforceable in a court of law because it's referred to in my trust. I can decide my ultimate beneficiaries in that personal letter. So if Callie, Missy, and I are traveling somewhere and the plane goes down and I'm the last one to go, I can specify who my beneficiaries are because I've addressed that topic in my personal letter. So, Kevin, let's make sure that our stuff is going where we want it to. Why don't you give people your information so they can talk to you about it? Kevin Tharp, T-H-A-R-P-E dot com. That's my website. Next up, your pension. Lifetime income or lump sum? What do you do with your pension? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, pensions aren't, uh, they aren't around as much as they used to be. We don't see as many pension plans out there. Although, believe it or not, we are starting to see some companies acquire pension plans again. They are setting up pension plans, defined benefit plans, because they feel like that's just something they want to do for their employees. But there's still a lot of people who get pensions out there. School teachers, state employees, a lot of government employees, some companies have pension plans. That's what they've been doing for years, and they continue to do it. And in in addition, a lot of companies not only have a pension plan, but they also have a 401k. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. But today, we need to answer the question, or at least raise the question, what should you do with that pension plan that you have? And um, you have choices. Any pension will give you choices. You have Lifetime income, you start taking money for your entire lifetime, possibly even your spouse's lifetime, whoever dies last, you can take that choice. You know that pension's going to come to you every month for the rest of your life and possibly your spouse's life. You're probably going to get cost of living increases with that. My wife's a school teacher. She gets a pension. 
and she's seen her pension grow pretty dramatically over the years because of those cost of living adjustments. So she's rewarded for all those years she taught by having this really good pension plan. She took the pension, but she also had a choice for lump sum. Me, being her financial advisor, <laughs> I recommended for her it didn't make sense. Third choice, though, right? She right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was her choice. But I didn't recommend because it didn't make sense for her because I was continuing to work. I don't plan on retiring at any point in time in the future. I know I might have to at some point. But with me continuing to work, she needed to be able to just take advantage of that monthly income she was going to get. And so that's what she's doing. But from an investment perspective, sometimes people see a reason to take the lump sum. And I've seen some some pension plans out there uh, over the past just few years with some companies. That lump sum is so attractive versus taking the lifetime income that it's something you really have to think about. It's something you really need to consider. Again, it's not whether you take it a lump, a lifetime income or a lump sum. It's not when you take it. But it's about your plan, how it fits your plan. And again, and I know people probably hear this all the time from us, it's different with everybody. Your plan has to be different. That's why we put retirement plans together to make sure we're addressing these pension plans you have, the investment plans you have, to make sure they fit with your overall retirement plan. The retirement plan manages those particular investments. I saw, I read an article just yesterday, as a matter of fact, a guy down in Florida uh, owns a business down there. He was really loved going to this particular beach during his working years. And then all of a sudden, one day he decided, well, you know, I'm going to be retiring pretty soon and uh, I've got a nice pension and I think I want to make this a full-time thing, being in Florida, being at this beach full-time and I want to start a business. And he wanted to start a restaurant there because he loved food and loved to be able to, to cook food for people. And he thought it would be a good fit. And he knew this pension plan that he had, the lump sum in it, was more important to have the money up front than it was take monthly income for the rest of his life because he was going to continue to work in his new career. And the lump sum enabled him to buy his restaurant, buy the equipment, get himself started with it, and he's doing well with it. And this is something I read yesterday, and the man's been in business now for over 10 years, and his business is doing well. So it was a good choice for him. But that even even that was still a part of his overall retirement plan. His retirement plan was to work, which it's awesome. If you can do it health-wise. Yeah. A lot of people want to do this now. We're seeing more and more people continue to work longer during their careers because they like doing it. Or maybe it's a second career that you always wanted to do. So this this choice that you have between lump sum and lifetime income uh, is a serious choice, and you shouldn't just take it point blank. No, just take the lifetime income. Just take that. It's worth more that way. might not be worth more to you because you might have a purpose for the money up front, rather than the income over a long period of time. We're talking about pensions as a part of our retirement income today on Truth and Planning, and I'm with my co-host Gary Anderson, financial advisor of Anderson Advisors. And Gary, I know my grandfather, I think about my grandfather, and he worked his whole career 
uh, in in with the railroad. He went all the way up from shoveling coal to he was a uh, railroad engineer. He drove one of the trains for Southern Railroad. Um, and when he retired, he still had the physical ability and capability of working. So he went and he worked full time as a security guard at Scottish Rite Hospital. That was a whole totally different career. But he got such a blessing out of that and he being around it. children. And he enjoyed it. <laughs> but now is, is a pension often in substitution of Social Security or is it addition to a person's Social Security? It's in addition to Social Security. Sometimes people have worked long enough in the Social Security, under the Social Security system, they have two different retirement incomes just from those things, much less anything else. Social Security is a lifetime income. A pension is a lifetime income. You may have other investments you may turn into the lifetime income as well. But yes, that is this in addition to. Now, sometimes there's something called the windfall provision that we have to be aware of. And um, because... A good example, again, is my wife, Betsy. She gets her teacher's pension. The Social Security that she gets, they let, by the way, they let Betsy take Social Security at a real early age for some reason. I don't I know. Just, i got to go ahead and qualify that. Well, she was Betsy, yeah. I mean, 32 <laughs> years of age. and She just Social, asked for it. Yeah. She's just one of those rare people in the country. Am I, am I okay now, Betsy? <laughs> but this is something for her, she thought... On the surface, she was going to get this nice Social Security check in addition to that that uh, uh, pension that she was getting. Not so fast. Her pension is takes the place, basically, of the Social Security. She gets some. She gets the Social Security increases every year. So it's still a decent amount of income, but it's in addition to the pension because of this thing they call the windfall provision. And we do have people in Washington now that are seriously considering passing a bill to eliminate the windfall provision because really from their perspective and from mine too it doesn't seem fair you put money in both of those systems all those years you should be able to get the full amount of income that you're entitled to from those so this is something that again comes down to the plan make sure the the your 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 plan should fit your investments and your investment should fit your plan to make sure that you're taken care of during your retirement and one thing that somebody brought up to me one day, Kevin, which I think is real interesting, they said, well, if I take this pension, I'm not going to have a whole lot of liquid assets to leave my heirs at some point in time. And to this person, we needed to create a plan that would leave money for their heirs. Now, they were already getting a pension because they really hadn't even considered it back when they started taking the pension. It wasn't a part of a plan. It, they just decided that's what they wanted to do. So how do we get over that? How do we get by that so the, your heirs aren't going to get that pension? Unless they're a spouse, you may have a survivor benefit, but your heirs typically aren't going to get it. Sometimes there's a choice for a little bit of pension for an heir, but you don't see a lot of that. So your heirs aren't going to get that. But let's say that your pension, in addition to some other retirement income, creates enough income for you to have a good, comfortable retirement and do the things that you've always wanted to do, well, one thing we can do is set up a life insurance policy that will cover your heirs to make sure they get something for your retirement by taking a small portion, potentially, of the income that you're getting from that pension to pay for life insurance so they will be able to enjoy an inheritance from you. So that's not off the table either. Again, it's overall a part of your plan. 
We enjoy putting plans like this together. Our job is to help you manage your retirement. And by managing it, we have to have a plan first. How can our listeners let you do your job for them? Kevin, they can call us at 888-371-2847. That's Anderson Advisors. You can call us. We can even set up a 15-minute phone call. If you're unsure about things, you have questions, we'll be glad to do that. Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson nor Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show.